Hello, and welcome to The Weird. We've been away for some time now, thanks to the good people at Gilboa Fruits. Riley and Dan have been made bigger, stronger, faster, and longer. So, please, sit back, relax, buckle yourself into your sofa, and enjoy Dan and Riley 2.0, brought to you by Gilboa Fruits. So, in all honesty, Dan, I think we should open up by sort of coming clean about why we were away. <laughs> My God, yeah, that was wild. Yeah, so we weren't actually um, planning to take a break, folks, no. but I had a really tight schedule, like a really limited window for when I was able to record because I was actually performing in a show. And the night that we picked to record, the internet was... Atrocious? Horrible, inconsistent. We tried, what, for about a half an hour to get going? I think going. we recorded my episode six times we tried recording my episode and then we just called it yeah the internet just was not on our side so we sat down and we said what are we going to do about this big mess what are we going to do and uh we both agreed let's just take two weeks let's wait till the show is done let's wait till we both can breathe a mm -hmm. little and now we can breathe a little and we just come through a big storm just like dorothy gale in the wizard of oz i don't want to live in an area of the world that the rest of the world is hearing about you know, in February, we had those that convoy where people were trying to uh, literally overthrow <laughs> the Canadian government. Yeah. And now we had something called a Derrico. A Derrico? Derrico. I don't know. It's something like that. It's this massive, very rare storm front that kind of looked like a hurricane rolling through our city and has uh, wreaked pretty significant damage uh, here in the nation's capital of Canada, Ottawa. Came through on Saturday, right? It came through on Saturday. And today is Tuesday, and there are still people in the city that I know, that we both know, close personal friends who have no power. Yeah, big swaths of the city are, remain without power. Uh, we have in this city, a lot of a lot of the older parts have power lines like that, that go above the street, and they've been toppled. But even those big generator towers, like we're talking like 30-story towers, Mm-hmm. Um, that run through rural land that I'm assuming, you know, are the, bring the main amount, like the, 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 the electricity from wherever the sources come from, they were toppled, like as yeah. if they were like toys, they were just crumpled by the, these winds. When I was a young man, a very long time ago, those towers, the tough kids in high school would climb them. Oh my God. Yeah. It was a rite of passage. <laughs> and that's why you had the, the weakest town around because all the tough kids died. Well, no, they just couldn't count and drooled. <laughs> That's incredible. Like those tall, tall towers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a there was one near where I grew up and um, there was a ladder that went. Okay. But yeah. to get the ladder, you would have to get on someone's shoulders or find a way up. But what they would do is just drive their cars there, get on top of their cars, jump up, grab the ladder, and then they would just go up. Oh, that's so weird. I would never do that. I always had a healthy dose of Darwinism in me. I never took chances as a kid. I don't like heights, so that would not have been mm -hmm. me. Like I was not the kid who would walk on the top of the play structure, like the monkey bar oh, or something would. like that. I, I wouldn't. Would. No, I, I was the kid it. who would go into the abandoned mine. I didn't even go on it. I wouldn't stand on a skateboard. I went on my knees on my skateboard and then just gave it up altogether. So we are super happy to be back after our hiatus and we do apologize to the listeners. We didn't mean to, but it became a... It became an inevitability. There was just no other way around it. We tried to navigate. We couldn't. So we took a little break. A little break. Yes. And we had some nice artwork of us that was posted in the meantime. Yes. Yes, we did. <laughs> it was yeah. hilarious and yeah, disturbing so. at the same mm -hmm. time. 
So what do you got for us, Dan? All right. So uh, I am bringing to you, Riley, for the seventh time and to you, good listener, for the first time, a really interesting, fun story. Dan, can I tell you something, by the way? Because I just yes. picked up my glass and I thought about this because, you know, we always go on and on about how I don't drink. I finally found a drink I like. An alcoholic drink? Yes. Oh. I like Prosecco. Oh, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's very tasty. It's light and it's got a bit of sweetness to it. So I've had several glasses of Prosecco over the last couple of weeks. I thought you were going to say like today and you were coming in drunk. No, 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 I'm not. I, I don't like being drunk, so I'll never be drunk. But um, good. I enjoy Prosecco. Well, not good that you don't like being drunk, but good that you're not drunk right now. But I finally have a drink I can order at dinner with my friends and not feel, you know. So I went out for dinner last night because it was um, my friend's birthday and... I had Prosecco, and I was the classiest person at the table because it came in its own little personal bottle, like on the airplane. I don't know if that's classy. I felt classy. Well, look at you. I felt all dressed up just because I had a little bottle of Prosecco. Did this restaurant also provide you with napkins, like to put on your, like a bib? No, no, it wasn't a lobster place. It was the keg. Oh, look at you, eh? Having a steak. Big time, uh, big time Bucks Riley. <laughs> okay, tell me your story, Let's get my going. Friend. All right, so this is an interesting one. This is one that I, I had never heard of. I, I came across this story by accident, and I was blown away at how this story, uh, or this place that I'm going to be talking about, is another one of those epicenters, much like uh, Skin Crawler, uh, not Skin Crawler, the, the... Skinwalker Ranch? Skinwalker Ranch, yeah, thank you. And Area 52. I love that. I lo are you intentionally making them all wrong? Area 51. And Boswell? And Boswell. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually funny. And George the Doll. And George. <laughs> so this is one of those big ones, and it's more recent, though. So this, this, is, where, this is why I, I made this mistake. This area, this thing is actually nicknamed Area 52. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So the Denver... International Airport has become a major focus point for conspiracy theories in the United States. And Riley, uh, had you ever heard this before? No. This was like, had you ever heard anything about? No, neither, neither heard I. Oh, I've always heard really good things about Denver. Me too. It's a city I'd love to visit. Mm -hmm. Over the past several years, uh, the airport has been the subject of books, articles, documentaries, radio interviews, and countless YouTube and forum board postings all attempting to unlock its mysteries. So, on February 28, 1995, the Denver International Airport opened its doors and its runways to the public after falling over a year behind schedule and spending a reported $2 billion more than its original budget had dictated. The massive new airport didn't just take up lots of time and money, it also took up a lot of space. More than two decades later, it's still the largest airport in the United States by area, 53 square miles, with the longest commercial use runway available in the country. So one runway, get this, is 16,000 feet long, approximately three miles long. Hold up. Uh-huh. Hold up. Oh my God, okay. 53, did you say, or 58 square miles? 53 square miles. 53 square miles of airport? Yes. So it must be an international hub that I wasn't aware of. It is. Okay. Hmm. It is now. Denver wasn't before, but it is now. Uh, the international airport replaced Denver's old Stapleton International Airport, which was plagued by problems, uh, runways too close together, a general, general lack of space for necessary expansion, 
and its creation helped meet some basic needs that Stapleton simply couldn't. And that was, of course, that was, of course, named after famous actress Jean Stapleton. Revenge of the Nerds, Tron. Not, no, Jean Stapleton. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, All in the Family. Aliens. No, she was in All in the Family. And she's saying that famous line, And you know who you are, <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> That's her name. Jean the mother, the mother in All in the Family with yeah, Jean yeah. Stapleton. Do you want me to do that? I'll do it again. Wait. And you know who you are, That reached into my head. Like, that was like you took a hot poker and and brought it reached the center of my brain. Yeah, Jean Stapleton, she was actually a pretty well-known Broadway actress. And I didn't know that. She didn't sound anything like that in real life. But anyway, continue. Okay, so she was just putting on a voice for that. Yeah, 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 of course. Okay, okay. So Denver needed more room to serve the various airlines that had made and wanted to make the Mile High City a hub of operations. And the Denver International Airport did just that. In fact, Riley, it is now the fifth largest airport in the United States, which is saying something, considering how big some of those cities are. Booyah. So that all sounds normal enough, right? A city needed a new airport, and it got one, even though it took a lot more money and time than originally planned, as so often happens with large-scale public works. Although there is some debate as to who actually funded the airport, but we'll get into that a little bit later. But people have wondered if... This airport, giant, expansive, strange Denver International Airport, is home to something far more sinister, like a conspiracy. Or, or, Riley, or a lot of conspiracies. Oh. Theories about Denver International Airport, which from now on I'm going to call DIA, just for short, because it's a lot of, that's a lot of syllables coming out of my mouth. And, you know, my tongue gets tired. (laughs) So uh, theories about DIA have soared for more than two decades, owing to the airport's mix of bold public art, unusual architecture, infamous construction problems, and an internet-fueled cycle of self-feeding paranoia. They predate even the airport's 1995 debut. In 2007, George Newry, who a lot of our listeners may know of, devoted all four hours of Coast to Coast, his nationally syndicated talk radio program, dedicated to the paranormal, extraterrestrial, and other topics typically overlooked by more mainstream media outlets, to a discussion of Denver International Airport, or DIA. Broadcast on more than 500 affiliate stations, the popular overnight show is the 60 minutes of conspiracy theories, often with self-educated experts expounding on such subjects as the occult, psychic visions, crop circles, skull and bones, and apocalyptic predictions. Why have we never heard of this before? You've never heard of George Nury? I've never heard of him. Oh my God. He, he, well, here in, in our part of the country, he's on one of the AM stations and he's on late oh, at night. Oh, Okay. Like, if we ever run into him, should we fight him? No, he's super cool. Oh, okay. I like him. But we're rivals, right? We're not rivals. We're not even the same league as him. Well, in my mind, I am. We're like a community baseball team, and he's like the New York Yankees. Oh, well, look at him. Mr. Big Time. If we work hard, maybe one day we can play against George Nury. Hmm. All right. No, I you hate seem him. upset by this now. You don't. I can tell you really don't like him. You feel threatened by him. Well, he's our competition. If he died, it would leave a huge hole that someone would have to <laughs> fill. Oh my God! We're gonna be. He's gonna do an episode on us now. <laughs> oh. So he had this special show, and all these things were. He was talking about all of these things, and all these conspiracies seemed to intersect at the DIA. Another big bump came 
when former wrestler and state governor Jesse Ventura, Jesse the Body Ventura, helped further popularize these theories with a 2012 episode of his TV show Conspiracy Theory. Do you remember that show? Yes. Yeah, me too. And dozens of media outlets from ABC News to the Science Channel continue to report on them on an annual basis. Okay, I I just looked up George Nury, and we're way more attractive. I like to think that George's magnetism comes from what's inside, not on the out. He looks like the MyPillow guy. Oh, does he really? Yeah, it looks like Mike Lindell a little bit. But I'm sure he's not that level of crazy. I don't think he's crazy. He's, I think you really need to listen to him. Okay. Because he's kind of like us. I think he believes far more than we do, but he he's not always like a jump in, well, at least what I've listened to. It's not like I, I'm a fanatic uh, listener of his, but I have listened to the show. Sometimes he, you know, realizes some of those things he might, he might need to take tongue in cheek, you know? Right, right. Yeah. All right. So let's dive Riley into some of these conspiracies shall we yeah i'm fascinated that there's all of this stuff associated with an airport right such a strange location Mm -hmm. yeah okay Mm -hmm. that's exciting so although one of the underlying themes of the various conspiracy theories regarding dia holds that stapleton was a fine airport and didn't need to be replaced there is one inarguable inarguable point the runways at stapleton were not smartly laid out The parallel runways were too close together for safe landings in bad weather, which happened around 150 days a year, and cut the number of arrivals an hour from 80 to 36, which is quite significant. Mm -hmm. DIA doesn't have the same... I love the fact you took a big pause there. Oh, because I was just finding my spot. I thought you wanted me to comment. Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) That's very funny. No, I was just finding my spot. DIA doesn't have the same problem, but it does have something far more nefarious. A shape that many people have noticed looks curiously like a swastika, at least from the air. Mm. Taken on its own, such a shape could be brushed off as being just a really terrible piece of planning. But combined with everything else we will discuss, it all looks very odd indeed. So if you take a look at an overhead and aerial view of the airport, uh, you'll see that the runways do, they are lined up like a swastika. Oh my. You have to sort of not look at some of the auxiliary roads and stuff like that, but the actual runways do make that. And it's it's a bit weird, but apparently very functional. Like it 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 means that everything is spaced out really well and, and stuff like that. So Well, that good old German engineering. <laughs> so just, this is sort of the first thing. And I bring it up first because it's the lightest, right? Like that, I that's not a show worthy thing. But as we go in here, It's sort of an interesting backdrop to everything else I'm about to talk about. So Denver International Airport is riddled with really, really, really interesting artwork. And it's strange because you don't think of an airport having very avant-garde art installations. And this airport does. You know, I do now because a lot of the airports that I've traveled through have undergone massive renovations in the last decade, right? Because most of them were built in the 50s and 60s, the big ones, right? And they've gone through. And so now they've really put more care into it, except for fucking Toronto Airport. Jesus Christ. That place, that place is just like a woman's correctional facility. It's got no (laughs) charm whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's a bit bland, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I even think our airport here is nicer than Toronto's with the big waterfall that it has. and It's beautiful. And with the glass ceiling. and Yeah. yeah. And Ottawa, in case listeners are tuning in for the first time, we're from Ottawa, Canada. And our airport here is nice. It's called Ottawa McDonald Cartier International Airport. 
And that's a that's a mouthful. It is. It is. All right. So it's hard to deny the weirdness of DIA's unofficial mascot that stands before the airport. The massive horse statue called Mustang and dubbed Blucifer has already killed at least one man. And Riley, go ahead, take a look at uh, Mustang so you can see what I'm I'm referring to here. And listener, I, I recommend you look at this too because it's really weird. Mustang what? Just put Mustang and DIA into a Google search and you'll find it. Uh, it's really, I mean, it makes sense because it's the Broncos, right? The the bucking Broncos of Colorado and stuff like that. But it's it's strange looking. It's beautiful though. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. It's gorgeous sculpture. It's huge. At 32 feet tall and 9,000 pounds, it's made out of fiberglass. Mustang is huge and imposing and it's glowing red eyes don't help matter. So those eyes you see glow red at night. This thing is giant and some people find it quite scary. And it killed the man who made it, like for real. Artist Luis Jimenez died in 2006 when a piece of the sculptor's head broke off and severed an artery in his leg. His children ended up, uh, I guess they were involved in that same business because they took up the project and finished the horse. Some believe the horse is cursed and that its glowing eyes represent the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, according to Jimenez's family, though, there are a nod to um, Luis's father who had a shop that sold neon lights. Uh, okay, something as simple as that. That's what they say, yeah. But again... You have to take all these things, these little pieces, and when you start adding them together, it gets, it's just strange. I love the horse. I love it. On its own, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Same thing with the runways. Mm -hmm. Just a poor judgment piece, maybe. Here's the next big one that revolves art. Artist Leo Tenguma's contribution to the artwork within DIA may be some of the most controversial and conspiracy-inducing elements within the complex. His two murals which take up wide swaths of wall space in DIA's baggage claim, might have some nice names. They are called Children of the World Dream of Peace and In Peace and Harmony with Nature. But their actual content is terrifying. <laughs> Many believe the key to decoding the truth about DIA and the sinister forces that control our reality is contained within Tenguma's artwork. Again, Riley, feel free to take a look at this because it is very odd. I've seen it already, and I think it's beautiful. Yeah, but you like dark and weird things. You have a, a vampire bat tattoo on the back of your head. No, I don't. Could you imagine? Hi, I'm unemployable. <laughs> <laughs> the murals each stretch about 28 feet along wide hallways near the baggage claims on the east and west sides. I'm just thinking of here. <laughs> that person going to a, a job interview makes me laugh. Hi, I'm unemployable. <laughs> I shouldn't say that because I don't believe that that should ever have anything no, to do it should, with it. it should so not. I, I, I would, I would hire somebody if they were competent. Who yes. cares? Who cares? But there would be a lot of people who wouldn't be yeah. as, yeah, yeah, open-minded. So, the, so the murals stretch uh, across this whole wall, 28 feet along wide hallways near the baggage claim on the east and west side of the regular rectangular, sorry, great hall. Each is split into two parts by access area doorways. They are painted in the Mexican muralista style with simplified figures cast in bright, solid colors. The characters in the murals, mostly children of various ethnicities, are portrayed with almost cartoonish qualities and laden with symbolism, such as a boy weeping as he holds a soon-to-be-extinct chipmunk in front of a burning forest. According to the DIA website, 
The murals function metaphorically as diptychs, hinged tablets of theological artwork and writing often placed on Catholic altars, designed with two simple themes, environmental destruction versus environmental healing and war versus peace. But conspiracy theorists from all over the world offer their own analysis of the paintings on message boards and blogs. Some think the murals depicting peace and environmental harmony are meant to be read first, which makes the second parts of the visual narratives, genocide and the devastation of the natural world, the conclusion. The murals can then be read as prophetic warnings from all-knowing groups or celestial beings that humans must clean up their act. Others view the murals not as an oracle, but as a propaganda tool of power-hungry interests who hope to distract people with false concerns over global warming, lulling citizens into complacency with dreams of peace. Once all the swords have been beaten into plowshares, as Teguma's Dream of Peace mural illustrates, then the evil forces, represented by the military figure in the adjacent panel, will enact their brutal overthrow of the world. What does that remind you of, by the way? This sort of line of thinking that some of these conspiracy theorists have? Um, I don't know. I'm not jumping to anything specific. What am well, I missing? I'm thinking of, of the gun issue in the United States. Oh, okay. Okay. How oh, so go, many people oh. are, are so afraid to, to let their, their arms go. And it's part of this fear, right? A fear, mm -hmm. a mistrust in the government. And a belief that they need to be prepared for this Armageddon. Well, they always say that too in their interviews. And I'm always like perplexed by it. And I'm not trying to insult anybody out there because I'd love to have a dialogue with you about it. But I, most of the time when they talk, they say they need to protect themselves and their family. And my question is from what? Like, where are you living? Mm -hmm. Like I have never in my life, and I've lived in some rough neighborhoods, ever felt that I needed to have a gun to protect mm -hmm. myself or my family. And like, I don't know, are there... Are there more home invasions than I thought? Because I looked at the statistics and there's almost none that, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't it understand. It goes deeper than that though. And, and even here in Canada, uh, part of this sort of line of thinking is that things like global warming are all a ruse, that it's not real, that the pandemic isn't real. This is all designed to be, to give the government overreach powers and this sort of conspiracy, you know, we're going to, we're talking about it or we're talking about it in a lighter way and you can kind of laugh it off, but the people do take this stuff quite seriously and they do look at a mural like this and go, whoa, 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 whoa. They see it as a sign of evidence that there's something uh, sinister afoot. Well, I, I don't know what to say to that. I think anybody who's going to do that is going to find something in anything they look at or, do you know what I mean? If you're, if you're always on the lookout for something, you'll find sure. it. Yep. Uh, former BBC media personality David Ick has written 20 books in his quest to prove. David Ick? Yes. <laughs> like Ick? Like Like I-C-K-E. That's Ick. If you look him up, you might recognize him. I would, yeah, Ick. <laughs> Ick. Ick. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm seven years old tonight. Ick. Ew, Ick. You're, you're, well, you're always like that. Let's. Thank Let's you, Dan. Just be honest. I always know where to go to feel better about myself, and it ain't with you. No, it ain't. No, it ain't. It's the mirror. You need to go to the mirror and have your own time with yourself and build yourself up. I'm telling you that. Don't rely on others for your happiness, Riley. That happiness must come from within. Dan, you should be a life coach. Oh, my God. I'm going to set up a new podcast. Do you know oh, every, every bullshit flake person I know has become a life coach? <laughs> Just Did you have a run-in with with someone who an old friend of yours who's become a life coach who's like like really not healthy? 
Yes. Yeah. Okay, so back to David Ick, who, by the way, Riley, he has written 20 books in his quest to prove that the world is controlled by an elite group of reptilian aliens known as the Babylonian Brotherhood, whose ranks include George W. Bush, Queen Elizabeth II, uh, Jewish people in general, and Chris Christofferson. Look, I get a, including a president and a monarch in there and and the jews just all of them i don't get the jew why you well i guess i mean they're they've been the target of racists and fascists for such a long time so i guess i do understand that but chris christopherson he must have said or done something that pissed this guy off i guess i want to form a punk band now called the babylonian brotherhood well I, i'm wondering i haven't done any i didn't do extensive side re i didn't know extent uh, side research on the babylonian brotherhood maybe that is something for another day but Considering its source, I don't know that I want to do that because this guy sounds like a real scumbag. Anyway, in various writings, lectures, and interviews, he has long argued that the DIA is one of many home bases for the otherworldly creatures, a fact revealed in the lizard alien-faced military figure shown in Teguma's murals. He says, Denver is scheduled to be the Western headquarters of the U.S. New World Order during martial law takeover. And he wrote that in his 1999 book, uh, which I won't bother repeating the name of because I don't want to give this guy any uh, business if I can help it. Uh, other contacts who have been underground at the Denver International uh, Airport claim that there are a large number of human slaves, many of them children, working there under the control of the reptilians. Uh, so others believe the murals depict a Nazi-led New World Order, which combined with the uh, runways, you know, they're drawing some connections there. While some other Christian groups have also found messages in the murals. Aside from being frightening to Christians, they also allege that the murals indicate that the, get this, that the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, has built a concentration camp below the airport to systematically murder the people that Lucifer hates. Because that makes sense, right? That that makes a lot of sense. That's the first conclusion I would draw. And by the way, I'm looking at the mural right now, and that soldier doesn't look reptilian at all. He looks like he's wearing a gas mask. Yes, I agree. It's made to look like he's wearing a gas mask. Yes. Silly people. Another mural uh, features three women in coffins surrounded by endangered animals, including a Quetzal bird named after the Mayan god Quetzal. Coddle, I think I pronounced that probably wrong, uh, in a glass cage, uh, which some view as an extinction message. The next panel shows children of the world gathered around a gigantic psychedelic plant of some kind, and they're all extolling that all the races are going to live together in a world of peace. But the peace doesn't last long. Another mural depicts a Gestapo-like figure knifing the dove of peace with his bayonet, surrounded by crushed cities and starving citizens. That's the one I was talking about. Yeah. As a result, many believe that these DIA murals reveal that at a point in our near future, uh, there will be a time of intense global military oppression. Many people thought that, that was going to be 2012 with all the conspiracy theories mm -hmm. centered around that. Obviously, that, that didn't come to fruition. Uh, Jay Widener, a documentary filmmaker and conspiracy theorist, explains that some high-level factions in Masonic society, and I'll get into this a little bit later, may be using the murals to alert the general population to the earth-shattering political environmental changes in store at some near point. Either that, 
or those factions are amazingly arrogant. Because for Widener and other conspiracy experts, the symbolism is as explicit as a manifesto. Another interesting artistic feature in the airport is an inlay on the floor featuring the letters AU and AG. Is that not periodic table of the elements, right? Very, wow, good for you. Yeah, yeah. Right? So that's the obvious. It's a nod to gold and silver, Mm -hmm. which would have been mined in that area. Uh, Rich mining history in Colorado, right? Did your mine story take place in Colorado? No. No? Okay. Where was that? The New Mexico? I don't know. I just said no, so it sounded like I knew. I think it was Colorado. Was it Colorado? I don't know. Why do you always do that? You bring up stuff and then I don't, like you ask me a question and I sound like I'm a, a moron. What people don't realize is that you have to be pre-programmed. Riley's a robot, everyone, and he's a fascinating, and I love him, like in C3PO-R2-D2 style, I, I don't treat my robot incorrectly, but it's a lot of work. And in situations like this, you can't blame him for not having retained old programming. I think you're great, Riley. Zero one one zero 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 one 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 zero 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 one one one. Yes, yes, binary boy. I think it was Colorado. I think you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that 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 would be the obvious why AU and AG are inlaid in the floor. But some believe the letters represent a dangerous strain of hepatitis that could serve as a biological weapon. Of course. Yes. Those two symbols coupled with the unnerving mural have fueled a conspiracy theory that the airport could be a hub for biological warfare. The airport also features very intimidating gargoyles. And I... That's a quote. I don't find them very intimidating, but people feel that they're very intimidating. And, and it's, it, again, interesting decision to put gargoyles inside a airport. So these are near the east and west side uh, baggage claim areas. The ominous and seemingly random nature of these statues freak some people out. <laughs> I find that funny that people get freaked out by that. And it made many wonder, including those with more moderate views about the airport, to question why these were commissioned in the first place. Now, Let's get back to Leo Tenguma, the artist. Back in 1994, Leo was working in his studio in the Lakeside Mall when a van full of people pulled up. They weren't hostile, he recalls. They asked a lot of questions. Apparently, they wanted to know about all the different symbols and the murals that he'd been commissioned to make for the still unopened DIA. And I explained it like I explained it to everybody, the artist says. The first part of the environmental mural is about the ways that humans destroy nature and themselves through destruction and genocide. The second part is about humanity coming together to rehabilitate nature and revive their own compassion. Which sounds beautiful. I really like this guy, by the way. Yeah. Tanguma may be a self-described left-winger, but he says he's not a liberal intellectual. He's a Christian who thinks of his murals as painted sermons depicting the virtues of the poor and hardworking and warning against the evils of greed and violence. Like many painters trained in the Mexican style of mural art, Tenguma gears his work to the street and all of its elements. Everyone from businessmen and college professors to people like his parents who were all but illiterate. And I said businessmen, business people. How good for you. 1950s was that of me. Good for you. Good for you. You're you're a man of the hour, a man of today. Mm. You're a man of the future, but you're now. The future, but now. The last thing Taguma wants is for his viewers to mistake his meaning. The visitors stayed apparently for more than an hour looking around his studio and talking. One of the women asked Taguma if the airport had told him what to paint. He remembers that because he remembers how she said it. He told her no, that he was given no instructions on content. 
And then the visitors began to talk about how the United Nations was going to take over the United States. How do you figure that? He asked. They then went back to back to their van and pulled out a thick photocopied book detailing the UN conspiracy. They gave Tenguma the book, and unfortunately he has since lost it. He's tried finding it, but he, I don't know, something happened to it. Uh, now that his art has become so central to a growing group of conspiracies, he, he really wishes he could refer to it because he, there might be more in, in it that he could understand where they're coming from. How the Tanguma murals became the focus of such a diverse spectrum of conspiracists is a mystery in itself. To his credit, the narrative of Tanguma's murals ends on a happy note with all that peace and harmony stuff, and the artist himself has said, I have children sleeping amid the debris of war, and this warmonger is killing the, the dove of peace, but the kids are dreaming of something better in the future, and their little dream goes behind the general and continues behind this group of people, and the kids are dreaming that peace will happen someday. See how the little dream becomes something really beautiful, that someday the nations of the world will abandon war and come together. And I think that's very beautiful, by the way, and that's something that I also, going back to what we were talking about, the NRA and some of those conspiracy theorists, Mm -hmm. the fear of globalization, you can definitely see a dark side to globalization. But I don't know about you, Riley, I, I see it as like, that's the ultimate goal where we re, we stop having these tribal um, and artificial boundaries and just come together and live in harmony. Shouldn't that be the, the long goal for society? One would hope, Dan, one would hope. You know, I just wanted to say, I looked at the murals while you were talking because Jesus, you went on there, but um, I really <laughs> looked at them and I got to say, it's just fucking art. It's really interesting. It reminds me a bit of Diego Rivera stuff. I mean, Mexican art's provocative. It has a tradition of being that way. I agree. And they're beautiful and they make you think. And you know, art isn't always supposed to be beautiful. Art is supposed to challenge. It's supposed to be provocative. It's, I think the, the, the pieces are actually gorgeous. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And that's why I kind of, I added that Tanguma quote in there because I, I really think that's what it's about, what he's, what he's describing. Absolutely, it's beautiful. Absolutely. But there are the counter, there are people who will say, and there are a lot of people that are saying the last place anyone wants to see depictions of death and destruction is in an airport. And they will say that it is weird that the imagery has a very Nazi fascist feel to it. Again, coupled with everything else. Some attribute these very odd art pieces to the influence of the Illuminati, Freemasons, the New World Order, or the Nazis. So speaking of which, this leads us to our next odd thing about the airport. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So this next theory is an odd one, but also oddly believable if you believe in that sort of thing. If you believe in love after love. What is that song? You remind me of Cher so much. I was singing in your eyes and saying, her love's like it's strong enough. You can tell I know the lyrics. I still remember the first time I saw you dancing on a battleship in that little um, G-string leather suit you have. Oh my God, Dan, I was so chafed. And I was like, there, I, I, that is Canada's share. I ruined my inner thighs. I had to poop standing up for three weeks. My God. I know, but it's the small price I pay for my art. You are a hero, a champion of the people. And it's the, the continuous sacrifice that you make. Uh, to provide us with entertainment. But you know, Dan, it was a mistake. And if only I could turn back time, if I could find a way. 
I wouldn't have worn that crazy outfit and got chafed. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Good rhyming. There All we right. go. There we go. Okay, so here's the, the next one. The theory goes that the Freemasons, a centuries-old secret society, has controlled the airport ever since it opened with ties to the New World Order, a group of global elites who wield power over international affairs. This is what makes this interesting, and I feel like this is where these stories turn a little bit of a corner here, Riley, and, and get a little weirder. There is one very odd marker that's hard to ignore, a dedication marker and capstone at the airport's south, uh, south entrance dated March 19, 1994, that's been placed over a time capsule that is set to be opened in 2094. The symbols on the marker are associated with the Freemasons, a charitable organization that is often subject, as we mentioned, to its own conspiracy theories. Again, this definitely the Freemasons and Illuminati and all that are, that needs to be its own standalone show at some point, perhaps a, a co-pro between you and I. I have to do it because, I mean, really, look. Yes, Riley's look, forcing me to look at his tattoo. I have the Illuminati tattooed on my forearm. Oh my God, does this mean that you're a member and I'm in trouble now, aren't I? No, but I just like the whole idea of, you know, science, religion, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. But I might not have got it if I could turn back time. The marker also mentions the, get this, Riley, the marker also mentions the New World Airport Commission, an organization that doesn't actually exist, or does it, but appears to be taking credit for building the entire airport. Masonic temples call their main meeting room, by the way, by the same name, which is interesting. To boot, strange markings can be found throughout the airport, which has led some to believe that they indicate the work of a secret society, or some would argue it might even be an alien language. While the Freemasons are a legitimate fraternal and historically cloistered organization with civic ties to the airport's dedication, there is no evidence to suggest that they had a hand in its planning or decision-making. The official stance of the airport is that the New World Airport Commission was named by a wealthy arts advocate, Charles Onsbacher, and was in reference to Antonin Dvorak's New World Symphony. Which, did you know that he's, he is part of, and this, uh, this I don't think is a, I'm ruining anything down the road. He's part of something called the Curse of the Ninth Symphony. No, I didn't know that. So composers who have written, the, this is the way that this curse supposedly goes, if you were unlucky enough to write a ninth symphony, you'll die shortly after. Oh. The problem is there's a lot of people who've written ninth symphonies who didn't die. Everybody knows the New World Symphony. You've heard it a million times. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a very famous piece of American um, music. Yeah, it's very slow. It's the kind of thing you want to hear while you're being flown by helicopter over the Grand Canyon. Interesting. That would work. See, but I myself would ask to hear, if I could turn back time. I'm just going to do that all night. And it's considered a very important piece of America, Americana, right? It's where he was sort of the big, first big American composer to put the Americans on the map on if that I could, front. If I could turn back time? Turn back time by share. yeah. Although the DIA conspiracies have branched off into wild ideological directions, they're all rooted in a 1996 radio interview with Alex Christopher, an inter interview whose transcription has also been republished on hundreds of websites. Christopher is a 65-year-old grandmother living in Alabama. She first became interested in the New World Order in the mid-1980s, uh, mid and she started writing a book on the subject. 
In the mid-1990s, she came to Denver for the Global Sciences Congress Conference, where she gave a lecture on her theories about aliens and the globalist agenda. She has stated that people there were talking about how odd the long-delayed airport was. And this is a quote. And I started looking at all the murals and floors and weirdness, she remembers, and I got really intrigued. That's my uh, Alabama, older woman Alabama accent. (laughs) I assumed so. At the conference, she met people who she claims took her into DIA's underground tunnels, which I'll get into more in a second. The first time, she went with a man who worked there. It was really spooky, she remembers. Then she returned with fellow conspiracy theorist Phil Schneider, and they went down four levels. That was enough to convince Christopher that something funny was going on at DIA. As far as I know, I'm the one who started all that, she acknowledges. She also went with a few family members to visit Tanguma at his studio. And this is interesting because I tried to find if if this is the people who arrived in the van that Tanguma was talking about. So they went to visit Tanguma at his studio where he was working on the second mural. And she said, and I asked him, where on earth are you coming up with this material from? And then he said, well, it's just a collection, a collage. And he had a lot of books in his studio that had strange pictures, she remembers. I understand that he didn't have free reign on those things, Christopher continues. He was given an outline of what was supposed to be in the murals. I feel like I should be putting like a C at the end of that. C? He was supposed to be in the murals, C. <laughs> Doesn't it sound like something? I've got Dick Tracy on this Edward, song, no, so. Well, that was Edward G. Robinson was yeah, famous for that, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. I shot up the place, see? And I tried to talk to him about what I thought, what I thought, and he wasn't buying it at all. Evidently, he was bought and paid for because there was no talking to him, and his mind was totally shut down to what he was depicting. Christopher, on the other hand, was open to hearing anything. A man called her and said he had found an elevator at DIA that led to a corridor that led all the way down into a military base that also contained alien-operated concentration camps. We're back to that. Not the devil's concentration camps, the aliens' concentration camps. She detailed this theory in her book, Pandora's Box 2. And there she outlined her theory that the British secretly control the United States, as shown in the secret society symbolism of the Tanguma murals, and Americans' continued consumption of, I kid you not, Grey Poupon mustard. You're kidding. I am kidding. Yeah, I made that one up. That threw me for a minute because you just <laughs> never know, right? Because because then you would have said, well, it's Grey Poupons owned by blah, 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 who had yeah. connections to blah, blah, blah. Just do, I remember those Grey Poupon commercials. Isn't it like kid. Procter & Gamble who have some kind of witchy thing behind them? One of the big companies who produce household goods like that, there's a rumor about... Oh, not Procter & Gamble. Um, uh, pa- the Palmolive, chemical... Pal- pa- Palmolive? No, the, the chemical... Um, and one of them murdered someone and they made a movie, Fox, the Fox catcher. That's not what I'm thinking of. No, one of the chemical company, no, you're got me. I hate you. One of the companies that produce house, <laughs> one of the, um, companies that produce household goods used to have three stars in their logo. Okay. And there was all of these theories about what that meant and that they were actually in collusion with you know, Wicca or something like that. And I'm totally paraphrasing this. this I don't know what I'm talking about, but um, it is one of the, let me look it up quick. Yes, I, I am the smartest girl in the world. And I just found a headline saying when 1980 satanic panic 
targeted Procter and Gamble. Oh, it is Procter and Gamble. Yes. And it was because they had all these stars associated with their products and I'll have to do a a, a a thing on that because it's a really interesting story. Oh so yeah, do let's it. Let's put That'd that in the uh, in the weird closet, mm-hmm. and we'll uh, we'll talk about that later. So here's where this story takes a bit of a turn. Phil Schneider turned up dead. So this is the guy that took her down under the the airport. Officials determined it was a suicide, but conspiracy theorists recognized it as an assassination, and he has since become a martyr for underground base believers. Christopher became fearful for her own life and her children's safety. And so for them, I, I shut up and disappeared and decided to see if, if somebody would take the material and let it take on a life of its own so that their focus would be somewhere else, she says. And Christopher has tried to stay hidden, which has led to even more conspiracies. Everybody thinks I'm dead or they think I'm a man, she says. She's now working on an updated version of her books, which she says may even include a DVD containing photographic proof of DIA's underground labyrinth. So let's get into this, because this is sort of touching now on this other part here with these mysterious tunnels under the airport. Well, don't most airports have tunnels under them? Yeah, but there's some weird, there's some weird parts here. The airport is home to a number of tunnels. And again, not that's not weird including a tram that goes between concourses and a failed automated baggage system, which all, again, that sounds very normal. I I, I would assume most airports have underground, all major airports have underground tunnels, but there's definitely something weird about that automated baggage system, mainly that it cost a lot of money and then it never actually worked. Like I'm talking millions and millions of dollars and they've just abandoned it. So it's underground and no one uses it apparently, but some think that they do. The system, which failed pretty spectacularly when it was first tested and just never got better, was one of the reasons for DIA's delayed opening. By 2005, most of the airport's concourses had abandoned it totally, making it both its bloated price and long delays feel like even more of a failure, or at least a really weird way to cover up the building of tunnels. Which leads us to the next theory. What is the purpose of these tunnels and where do they go? Some think that perhaps it's to some sort of underground bunker. Some believe that deep beneath the DIA is a secret bunker complex designed to house billionaires and global political elite in the event of an apocalypse. There is a little bit of validity to that in terms of geographically where Denver is situated. It would be a very, it would be a safer place to go in the event of, let's say a nuclear Holocaust because of. Uh, the mountains, right? You can yeah, get. isn't there a bunker for like the president and stuff somewhere in Colorado? While there's a major, one of the biggest bases in the world is located yeah. in those mountains. It's NORAD, which we're, our, our government is a part of. Yes. The agency that's responsible for ensuring the safety of Canada and the United States is housed nearby, mm-hmm. which is gonna I'm going to talk about here in a second. Claims of evidence of lizard people and aliens lurking deep below the airport. There are there are many. There's even, there's blurry online footage of uh, some of these uh, uh, aliens. Like, sorry, the, well, the lizards are aliens. Perhaps the lizards are aliens, but there's actual, you can find online, there is like Bigfoot sort of type uh, imagery of weird creatures lurking in those tunnels. 
contractors who originally worked on the airport, which went over budget and opened 16 months behind schedule, as we've mentioned, reportedly saw evidence of bunker entrances and unexplained tunnels. And this is interesting. Apparently, there wasn't one company that oversaw all of this. There was all these individual contractors who had small parts to play in its construction, which is something you would do if you were building something secret. Absolutely. Yeah, I can get behind this. As well, some claim to have seen alien drawings on the wall. And this is the the Nora piece. There is a theory that, and this this actually could be. I, I actually wouldn't be wouldn't be surprised in the least bit if these tunnels link up to NORAD. Right? It's nearby ish, and it would make sense if they needed access to an airfield or whatever. Or let's say the president's coming in and they need to get him into the NORAD bunker. Then you could do it that way. Right. So. Um, As mentioned, contractors were frequently dismissed during the airport's construction, and some speculate that this was a tactic to prevent workers from understanding the true scope of the project, allowing planners to build a a facility that some say is six stories underground without anyone questioning it. And that is strange. I think that is weird. If there's six levels below the airport, that sounds to me like there's some government weird stuff happening, right? But do we have absolute confirmation that there is six levels? You only have firsthand accounts of people who've been down there, like contractors and stuff like that. This idea might sound pretty wild, but there is something very strange to back it up. Buried buildings. As the story goes, when DIA was first being built, five massive buildings were built somehow incorrectly. Instead of being blown up or otherwise dismantled, they were buried. Although theorists theorists say that a construction worker ultimately blew the whistle on this very weird practice, finding his original testimony on the subject is almost impossible. So they had these large things, and instead of demolishing them, they dug big holes and sunk them into the ground. I've never heard of that. Have you? Neither have I. Isn't that strange? I guess it, it, it makes some kind of sense, I guess. I don't know. Why dig a hole? Like, I just, anyway, that... So again, maybe they built these things in pieces and then I, anyway, that's very weird. So people today seem to be constantly drawn to conspiracy theories. Perhaps this is something we are wired to believe, you know, like religion and perhaps the influence media now has on us through literature. Think of things like the Da Vinci code films, like Indiana Jones and national treasure, social media impact and snake oil salespeople and the politician who fan their flames have led to an increased number of believers. On one hand, the conspiracy theories surrounding the DIA are fun. On the other, their widespread beliefs are concerning as they highlight a world entering into an age of unreason. Bumba. Is that your show? That's my show. In a nutshell. Okay, I can get behind the fact that maybe there's some kind of like secret shelter that they've built for people because we know that money rules everything, right? And uh, especially in the United States, they're obsessed with wealth and capitalism. So perhaps. And I know you said you want to do this and I, I'm, I would love for you to do it. Do you believe in the New World Order or the Illuminati and all that? Do you think they actually do exist? No, I don't think so. But I mean, my Freemasons God, definitely do. But that, that's not. Well, there's uh, a lot of the secret other... societies that we ought to do. We ought to do the skulls. Yeah. 
So That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of stuff that um, I would love it if the Illuminati did exist. I know a little bit about the history. I'm not going to say anything about it right now, but let me um, let me go and do that one as a uh, as an I, episode. I guess th- for me, this is the weird, like that plaque, the, the, that's odd, right? This The New World mm. Order uh, Commission. And then the fact that there's Freemason symbols there. Again, you you may illuminate us on that subject when when and if you do the story, whether there's a connection between the Freemasons and the New World Order. But I find that part interesting. I do find the underground aspect of that airport very interesting and, and neat. Like you, I don't think the mural shows. No, I, I think the mural thing is just people misinterpreting art or mm-hmm. not. There's no misinterpreting it. It's just interpreting it in a way that I wouldn't interpret it. That's a good way to say that. Yeah. So there you go. I love that story. Yeah, it's it's fun and light and not terribly dark, but really interesting that there's this big old, or sorry, big old, big new airport that's already has so much lore surrounding it. All these different things that all connect together and make it a hot spot of conjecture. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, now I want to go and really see the art. Yeah, it'd be cool. I've never flown through Denver. Have you? I know, but I have people close to me who have. Um, in Denver proper is one of my favorite pieces of public art because I'm a huge proponent of public art. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't have enough of it um, in the city we live in. I wish we had more. And they have this giant office building. And outside the giant office building is a huge sculpture of a bear that looks like it's pressed up against the glass looking in to the office building. Oh, cool. And it's just such a lovely piece. And I just love stuff like that. So... I love that story. I love like facilities that have strange, you know, like the strange symbols that are all over the Capitol building in Washington and all that national treasure kind of shit, mm-hmm. right? I love mm-hmm. that. Exactly. Stuff. That's right. Or like it's that Da Vinci Code thing, right? Like yeah. there's hidden meaning and yeah. Yeah. Do you know when the Da Vinci Code was a best selling book, I thought it was some stupid thing like the Celestine prophecies. So yep. I avoided it. And then when the movie came out, I, I remember just renting the DVD because I had nothing, because the movie I wanted wasn't in stock at Blockbuster. And I, I was enraptured because I love, like, it's almost like an escape room. You're just yes. going from puzzle to puzzle trying to figure it all out. And I don't care if it's made up, like, fine. But it's just such a great story. I, I remember when I first read it, I read it early and being like, oh, is this true? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, a lot of it's made up. There's some interesting things, of course, like the Last Supper painting. There's some interesting things that are pointed out in that film. Absolutely. I just, but it's 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 very much like National Treasure and Indiana Jones and all that. It's It's fun. And it's like you said, it's like a big escape room and they have to, it's not just shooting, it's using their heads and it's yeah. fun. And like everything else we talk about on this show, it just makes the world more interesting. Yeah, that's right. Well, Dan, thanks for that. That was a nice, nice episode. And it was way off what we usually talk about. Yeah, exactly. All right. So folks, we'll end things there. Uh, We're so glad that you waited. Uh, We hope that you waited and that you're still listening. And, uh, you know, we were gone for those two weeks. It's great to be back. Uh, If you enjoy listening to The Weird, please feel free to share the word of Riley and I, who are the hosts of The Weird, with everyone that you know. Uh, If you're going to be on a cruise anytime soon, go up and down the hallways, pronounce from the bow of the ship, uh, the word of the weird. And uh, just make sure everyone on that ship is listening uh, before you get off. And if they're not, you stay on that damn ship until they do. Okay? That's just the... 
that's the way these things work. I don't make the rules. Just Riley and I are abiding by them like you will as well. <laughs> We're good law-abiding citizens because that's the, that's the way society functions. Good night, everybody. Good night. See you all soon. If you believe in love after love I'm a singer in your eyes to say it Real, I think it's strong enough